Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. everybody and welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I'm Michael Bentley and I'm here with Cayman McMahon. Hello! That was aggressively loud. And as always, <laughs> our producer Colin Moore. Hey, hey! <laughs> Alright guys, before we get started, I just want to say we did it. We are at 10 episodes. That is a double digit number. Woo! The big one zero. Woo, 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 woo! You are really dead set on screaming. This is my loud episode. Are you, like, trying to get me back for doing, uh... Oh, yeah, for singing I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston at the top of your damn lungs? Yeah. Yeah, it was awful. It was bad. No, dude, but ten, ten episodes. Ten episodes in, this is our loud episode. This is the episode where we get aggressively loud. You're gonna hear my dog whine in the background because he doesn't like it. Where it's, it's gonna... Get hype. Also, this is our first podcast where we're getting to talk about cars, which is something that I've been wanting to do since the very beginning. I love cars. Yeah, me too. (laughs) But as Cayman just alluded to, this week we're discussing DeLorean. And I would be willing to bet that 99% of people listening to the podcast right now know DeLorean as the time machine from Back to the Future. But the real-life story behind the car is just as compelling as the story of an old man and a young high school boy you know, traveling around through time and having wacky adventures. Have you all seen the John Mulaney bit on Back to the Future? Yes. It is, it is <laughs> excellent. If you haven't seen it, you have to look it up. Uh, so, Cayman, do you have anything else before we get started, or do you just want to kind of get on into it? The second Back to the Future is the best one. Yeah, I think that's a pretty universally agreed on. I don't know. Actually, I'm going to say the first one. Really? Second one's a close. I think they're both good. But see, for some reason, I think that, like, I don't think that I watched the first one until I was, like, in college. Well, that's your problem. Like, I watched Back to the Future, and I was like, what is this, like, the second or the third one? Why is he in the 50s? And they were like, no, he goes to the he goes to the past. I'm like, no, he goes to the future. So, uh, fun fact about me, you know. Yeah, that was a fun fact. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Everyone's having fun. This is a fun podcast. We're all having we're all having a great time. So you want to tell us about uh about a car? Um yeah, sure. <laughs> Who needs transitions? The story of DeLorean begins as many great stories do. In the year 1533, when King Henry VIII decided he was going to divorce his wife, Catherine of Argonne. Because the Pope wasn't super jazzed about the idea. Henry VIII founded the Church of England, which brought Protestantism to prominence throughout England. And this created a rift with their neighbors and future countrymen in Ireland, who were almost entirely Catholic. And this rift would continue to grow over the next 400 years, and throughout the 20th century with conflicts like the Irish Civil War. The Pope probably wasn't very jazzed about that one either. (laughs) Yeah. Or do you think he was? Do you think he was, like, rooting for the Catholics? That's a good question. Yeah, I I would have to imagine he probably was. I don't I I think the Pope probably had like a a deep like seated hatred of the English ever since, you know, that that one instance when they like just up and left. Friendship with Catholicism ended. Church of England is my new best friend. <laughs> Martin Luther's my new best friend. 
So put a pin in all this, you know, this this rift that's growing between England and Ireland because it's going to be very relevant later. But I only bring it up because it is very relevant to this story. So smash cut to the heart of American automobile manufacturing, Detroit, Michigan. The year is 1925 and John DeLorean has just been born. His father was a Romanian immigrant and a violent alcoholic who worked for the Ford Motor Company as a millwright. For some reason, all great people have violent alcoholic fathers. Yeah, it's like a prerequisite <laughs> to uh, becoming it successful. It makes you great, which when I have children, looks like I'm turning to the hooch. Well, I mean, you say that, but like it also causes these like deep-seated insecurities because like as we'll see with John DeLorean, it, it, it hits a, a rough patch. And like it was with John McAfee, right? Oh, yeah. He had, he had that abusive alcoholic father. And if you don't remember, go back and re-listen to the John McAfee episode. All of that really comes back to roost. Like, it's, it kind of creates a cycle. It's insane how similar these two characters are. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of parallels. Except for the fact that, spoiler alert, John DeLorean doesn't go to Belize and start a drug empire. But... Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. Allegedly. 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 So anyway, John grew up a very bright student and was granted scholarships to both the Cass Technical School, where he studied in their electrical program, as well as the Lawrence Institute of Technology, where he studied industrial engineering. Now, unfortunately for John, he was also at the perfect age to be drafted for service into World War II. And after he returned from his tour of duty, John finished his bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, and after a brief stint selling life insurance, John started his first job as an engineer for Chrysler. But he wasn't done with his education. Chrysler had an institute of engineering where John was able to further his education while working in the automotive field. And through this program, John DeLorean earned his master's degree in automotive engineering. But wait, there's more. All the while, John was taking night classes at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business, where he earned his master's degree in business administration. So just to recap, John DeLorean at the age of 28 has a undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering, a master's degree in automotive engineering, and an MBA. So this dude's resume is already stacked, and he hasn't even really gotten started in his career yet. That is crazy. Wild. Absolutely. Dude is wicked smart. And I mean, I guess when you think about it, well, no, because he was in World War II. How old was he when he got drafted in World War II? I mean, early 20s at the latest, like... Early 20s? Well, you gotta think that's at least gonna take, like, what? We'll, we'll say two years out of his yeah. life. So then you have, from the time that you're 18, you have four years to get an undergrad, and then, you know, let's say, two years in World War II, so he's already, what, 24 at this point? Mm -hmm. And then that would be two years for your first master's, two years for your second, 28. This dude has not stopped yet. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is even, you know, that military service, like, when you look at a resume and it's like, oh yeah, I also served in World War II. Like, dude is just stacked. Well, at that point, everyone had served in World War II. That's true. Yeah, it's not really yeah. a... Uh... Yeah, it doesn't really... I, I thought it was funny when you said, unfortunately for John DeLorean, he was drafted into World War II. Like, yeah, that was unfortunate for John DeLorean. Just John DeLorean. <laughs> no, I said, unfortunately, he was at the perfect age to be drafted. Like, unfortunately, true. he was born at the... Just the right spot to just, like, get <laughs> scooped up. And it's like, hey, you're going to fight the Nazis. <laughs> just the right time to get shell shock. Great. I actually, like, tried to figure out, like, what 
his military service was like. I can't find anything about it. Like, I wanted to know, like, was he on the front lines? Was he, yeah. you know, working a desk job? But I, I can't find anything. I noticed that with a lot of people in World War II, just because, I mean, like, everyone did it. So I guess it's not as particular. But from the background of him, because he got his bachelor's in industrial engineering, mm-hmm. I'd imagine that he was doing something like that. He was probably headquartered in the States. Objection. Speculation. Uh, speculation. I mean, yeah, but if I had to guess. You need industrial engineers over on the front lines, too. I mean, he could have been. Yeah, what if you have to build, like, a, you know, a catapult or something? Well, I mean, all the trenches and right. stuff, Trebuchet. like, you probably need an engineer to look at that stuff. Like, any of that. But see, that's that's not that's that's not industrial engineering. He was working on tanks. Okay, well, I mean... That would be civil engineering. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it could have been... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Those, those, those trenches look pretty industrial to me. <laughs> I don't think they'd let civilians in there. We're mass-producing trenches. We do one thing in this factory, and that's make trenches. I don't think they really did trenches in World War II. That was more of a World War One thing. I don't know. You know, building the bases, uh, build, just the tank shit. I don't know, okay? I don't know the answer. <laughs> hey, Cayman, what happened after he got all these degrees? Like, what did he do? So, John DeLorean gets a job offer at a little-known car company called Packard. And I say little-known at the time. It wasn't little-known. If you're not very familiar with cars, they've been out of business, like, since the late 50s but they were they were big in the early days of american automotive industry he quickly became a hit at the company once he got on but despite his success packard was already on downhill trajectory when he joined by the time he left the company in 1956 packard was preparing to close its doors that same year that was all right with delorean though because he'd just gotten a job offer at the place to be in the 1950s general motors now general motors placed delorean at pontiac Pontiac was a division of General Motors in which at the time was struggling. And if you don't really understand how like car companies work, you'll have one large motor company that owns multiple brands. Uh, so for instance, GM had, you know, Chevy, Pontiac, Cadillac, Ford had Lincoln, Mercury, and of course, Fords. So that's generally how these big car companies work. Well, at the time, General Motors was by far doing the best. It was by far the biggest in the United States. So Pontiac was the GM car brand that was supposed to be a step up above Chevrolet, which was GM's entry-level brand, but a lower price point than a Buick or a Cadillac, which were GM's luxury brands. In the early days of Pontiac, which is like the 1926 to the early 50s, they did a great job at their price point making cheap, pseudo-luxury cars. By the time, however, that DeLorean got on board, the company was seen as makers of uncool grandma cars. That was about to change. In 1961, DeLorean had climbed the ladder and was appointed to Pontiac's chief engineer position. It was at this time that Pontiac decided it needed a new audience, and they turned their attention to the tracks and quickly started to be known as Fast Boys. So the first few races that they get in, they're doing extraordinarily well. They have some very famous racers driving for them. Well, as famous as you can be in the early days of racing. Unfortunately... In 1963, GM decided to avoid legal pressures and government attention on racing deaths, so they decided to ban motorsports for the entire brand. To this end, GM mandated that no engine larger than 330 cubic inches could go into their mid-sized cars. This was bad for Pontiac's new image, but DeLorean and his team didn't give a gosh darn hoot, and let me tell you why. Because GM didn't make any mandate about what engines could go in their compact cars. 
To this end, DeLorean decided to take the huge V8s out of their large cars and cram them into their smallest car, which was known as the Tempest. Simple logic being smaller, lighter car, oversized engine, vroom vroom. The car was named the Le Mans. This is after the popular 24-hour race, Le Mans, but you know... More manly. We're not going to pronounce French, so Le Mans. Way more manly. <laughs> it is way more manly. Does that mean your your last name, McMahon? <laughs> if I was French, McMahon, I'm, I'm going to give you a few seconds to try and guess where the name McMahon comes from. Ireland. Yep, it's not France, is it? That's, no. a, that's, a, that's a good little scoot away. <laughs> but Pontiac wasn't done just yet. In 1994, they upgraded the Le Mans to have a 389 cubic inch V8 that made a big old 325 horsepower. For those of you that aren't car people, that means that this thing can boogie. This is a huge Mahonkin engine. Even by today's standards, 325 horsepower is a lot. Like, that's very good. So this upgraded model of the car was named the Pontiac Le Mans Gran Turismo Amalagado. Better known as the GTO. Wait, hold on, hold on. Is is that like is that an acronym? Yeah, Gran Turismo Amalgado. Gran Turismo Amalgado. That wasn't the whole name. You said like a lot more than the that. The Pontiac Le Mans, right? So that's the that's okay. the base car. GTO. But uh-huh. the special edition is called the Gran Turismo Amalgado, okay. which means the Grand Touring Homogulated. Okay. Uh, and I can get into homologated. You guys are going to be asleep by the time that I'm done explaining. I don't care. We, we're going to have a lot of car things to say. I'm just going to graze past them. Good. You might be thinking right now, okay, DeLorean and his team made a fast car. Big whoop. But here's what you probably don't realize. What they made was more than just a car. What they made was a recipe that would define American car culture forever. What they had made was America's first true muscle car. Wait, Cayman. K- if if they invented the first muscle car, did they also invent the first douchebag? <laughs> You're not a douchebag just because you drive a muscle car. I don't know. It depends on whether or not they invented truck nuts before or after this moment. <laughs> yes, Colin. They came standard issue on the GTO. Ah, yes. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Okay, so if if you're wondering why they sound so stupid telling that joke, it's because we told that joke the last time. It's because fuck the weather. Last time we tried to record this episode, God was very upset at Michael and blew up the Transformer outside of his house. I think it was for that exact joke. I think he was like, (laughs) that joke sucked so bad, I'm going to knock out your power so you can't subject anyone else to it. God likes muscle cars, confirmed. No, but I mean, really, when you look at it, you know, in Europe, they had sports cars, which are really just really small, pretty good performance cars, typically convertibles, coupes, that sort of thing. And the muscle car was the beginning of us really having the same thing here in the U.S., but our recipe was slightly different because what we were doing was we were just taking, you know, small boxy cars and dumping like monster engines in them. Like, just big, nasty, loud. It wasn't that refined, posh, like, Aston Martin, James Bondy look. It was, we are going to... It's going to go fast. (laughs) (laughs) Big, fast, and loud. It's how I like it. And honestly, like, it's it's kind of just an embodiment of, like, the American culture versus, like, the European culture. Like, it's not sleek. It's not elegant. It's big, fast, and loud. It's made to do one thing. 
kick ass. <laughs> Let's defeat communism. Defeat communism and kick ass. <laughs> and I'm all out of communism. Oh yeah, if you want something fun to do, look up uh, the cars that Russia had around this time. We were we were doing much better than they were. So the GTO was obviously a huge success for Pontiac, and because of this, DeLorean's career was cemented in history. But that didn't mean that he was done. Over the next few years, DeLorean and Pontiac would propel a few more cars to nationwide recognition, such as the Grand Prix and the Firebird, which you might have heard of. By 1969, GM was so tired of all that winning Pontiac was doing that they decided to pull DeLorean to their flagship brand, Chevrolet. Well, fun fact about the Firebird, they originally wanted to call it the Phoenix, but John DeLorean walked in and he's like, oh, what's that big old Firebird doing on my car? <laughs> I should point out that that's not what DeLorean sounds like. I don't know, man. What? What's that big old Firebird doing on my car? What's that Firebird doing on me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now DeLorean's at Chevrolet. And at Chevy, DeLorean would continue his successes. He sorted out the company's production problems, decreased overhead, and improved their assembly line. By 1971, the Chevrolet brand alone was nearly matching the sales of the Ford Motor Company. So like I said, that's, that's an accumulation of all their car brands. Lincoln, Mercury, Ford, and just Chevy under GM is nearly matching them But in 1971, which is insane. Due to these further successes, DeLorean was appointed GM's Vice President of Cars and Trucks in 1972. But in 1973, DeLorean left GM because he wanted to form his own company. Yeah, so it's kind of contentious whether he left on his own accord or if he was kind of forced out by GM. Right. Because he started criticizing the upper management considerably around this time. And also, well, the thing is around this time, there's about 15 different stories of why DeLorean left GM. And all of them are speculation. There's a lot of them that talk about, like, he had grown more erratic. He was using drugs. He was, you know, I saw one story where, like, apparently he was just skirt chasing absolutely everyone in the office. And all the other people were getting, like, jealous that he was doing so well. And regardless, I, I do think that he did want to form his own company. So that's the one that I go with. I think that you're at a company like this so long and you're you're the guy that made the GTO. You're the guy that, like, helped make the Firebird. You make the Grand Prix happen. Like, all these amazing cars. You're sorting out Chevrolet, making them do great. And you want to be out from their shadow. You're like, I'm doing this good. I could probably do all this shit on my own. And then he eated himself. Yeah. That's that's my, my train of thought. Well, my train of thought, like, I've read all these rumors, too. You know, the, the skirt chasing, the drug use, the I just want to get out here and do my own thing. And my personal opinion, or, you know, what I think really happened is probably all of those things. I Every single thing that I read, I'm like, that probably also happened. And it's yeah. probably just a, a culmination of, of, of everything. <laughs> um, a perfect storm. <laughs> a perfect storm of, you know, all of that. But one thing is for sure, John DeLorean definitely thought that he was made for bigger things than GM. Shortly after leaving his position, he told the New York Times that, quote, he didn't want the position anyway, because a top management post at GM consists of sitting in meetings all day. Even at $650,000 a year, if the job is not satisfying, you do something else, end quote. You know, I was considering asking what's 650, whatever, $100,000 in today's money. But it's at least 650000 in today's money at, at right. least a year, which is just an insane amount of money. 
that's that's even today in today money is good <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic so i'm sure it was amazing in 73 it was it was yeah it was pretty satisfying <laughs> yeah it's at this time that he begins to work on plans uh to start the delorean motor company and his idea was to create an ethical vehicle that would last 10 to 15 years and i say ethical in quotes this was his definition of what an ethical car would look like so yeah it would last a much longer time than the approximate five years you would get from almost any other manufacturer this is before like toyota and subaru when we found out that cars last you know centuries right as long as they're made in the right country exactly <laughs> uh, around this time you know all, all the big names were giving you about five years of reliability right but the, the new delorean was also to outclass its competitors in terms of safety and sustainability and to achieve this it was made a priority that the vehicle should be manufactured from materials like stainless steel and fiberglass stuff that's going to last a long time and John commissioned a former colleague from General Motors to produce a prototype, which was then known as the DeLorean Safety Vehicle. Right. So, before we get into the design of the car, let me explain something to you. There's this man named Giorgetto Giugiero, who is arguably the greatest car designer in history. Notably, Giugiero designed such cars as, and I'm just going to list a few of the most popular ones here, the Ferrari 250 GT SWB Baritone, the BMW 3200 CS, the Alfa Romeo Giuliana Sprint GT, the Fiat 850 Spider, the Maserati Ghibli, the Lotus E-Spirit, the Lancia Delta, the Volkswagen Passat, Golf, and Jetta, the Fiat Panda, the Saab 9000, the Lexus GS, the Lamborghini Cala, and like a billion other iconic cars. Like this dude is the dude that made the car that you wanted to drive when you were like six years old. He made he made the car I want to drive now. Oh yeah, no, he he made just everything awesome, short of like the Ferrari Testarossa. So it's no surprise that when DeLorean wanted to design a car, he only wanted the best of the best. He wanted Giugiero, and he was going to get him. Luckily for DeLorean, Giugiero already had a banger waiting in the wings. See, Giugiero had grown tired many years earlier of making showroom cars. And that's essentially that companies would ask him to design concept cars. Now, concept cars don't really ever actually make it to the road. But because of Giugiero's reputation, he he got asked to do weirder and weirder things. So he wanted to make something that would be exciting, but still make it to mass production. A car that would be seen on the roads instead of in the garages of elites. And what Giugiero came up with was known as the Tapiro. The car was angular and futuristic. It was a driving silver wedge with a gullwing doors that was designed around the body of a moderately priced VW Porsche 914. At this time, it was the VW Porsche, not just the Porsche. Going back to car brands, the VW company owns Porsche. The VW company owns Lamborghini. Just gonna toss that in there. Volkswagen and Porsche turned them down, citing no market for the strange car. And until DeLorean approached Giugiero... He had all but given up on the concept. With DeLorean's backing, Giugiero got to work on refreshing the design with increased ground clearance and fixed lights as opposed to pop-ups, which, by the way, I think is a huge mistake. Pop-up headlights are awesome. More points of failure. More points of failure. Uh, yeah, they do. They can break down, and also you can't really have them in the United States anymore because of like pedestrian safety laws. Yeah, because you know you notice that all cars now are kind of rounded in the front. 
Yeah. That's in case uh, a car hits you, you don't roll over it and the pop-up headlights split you in half and launch you down the interstate in two chunks. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> so that's why we no longer have pop-up headlights, if you're curious. But at what cost, Cayman? <laughs> at what cost? They look cool. They pop up. Exactly. They Yeah. Pew. Oh, dude, it looks so cool when the lights are on, too. Ah. <sighs> Okay, so when he was done in 1975, he presented the DMC-12, DeLorean Motor Company's first car, and it was ready for production. So yeah, the only issue was DeLorean needed investment. So John and his team started going out and, you know, trying to find that money. So DeLorean received $4 million in capital from small investors, each putting in $25,000 each. And they also received $1 million in investment from celebrities like Sammy Davis Jr. and the host of The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson. However, that $5 million wasn't going to cut it. Producing vehicles requires hundreds of millions of dollars, even in 1970s money. So DeLorean started to look to national governments for investment in exchange for bringing manufacturing jobs to their country. And to accomplish this, the company began targeting nations with high unemployment rates. The short list of nations consisted of Puerto Rico, the Republic of Ireland, and Northern Ireland. Because remember, at this time, Ireland is split between Southern and Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland still being part of Great Britain. Southern Ireland has split off into their own independent country. You say at the time, it's still the same now. It's still that way. Yeah, well, by this time, I guess I should have said. Right, yeah, okay. So you may be wondering why John DeLorean wasn't building his cars in the United States where he had prior experience. Well, as you can imagine, DeLorean wasn't well-liked among the big three auto manufacturers, those being General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler. And as such, it was believed that these big three would do everything in their power to sabotage his new venture. And they likely would. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not far-fetched. So after a series of negotiations, an agreement was reached that DeLorean would begin production in Northern Ireland, specifically in a cow pasture in Dunmurry. You see, Great Britain was having an issue at this time, which goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode with the rift that was growing between them and Ireland. Well, at this point, it's at its worst that it's been in decades due to a conflict known as the Troubles. And the Troubles were a conflict where paramilitary groups would engage in urban combat and bombing campaigns in Northern Ireland in an attempt to either unite or separate Northern Ireland from the rest of the island, depending on who was doing the bombing. And I would love to go into greater detail about this topic, but I think it deserves an episode of its own to fully discuss. Oh yeah, the Troubles were messed up, man. Yeah, and honestly, like, we we need to go into, like, the full history. Like, I've given kind of an overview here, but it's this is a long-standing conflict that really needs more time to flesh out. But for now, it's enough to say that England is looking to show the Northern Irish why it was beneficial for them to remain part of Great Britain. And so, in an attempt to reduce the level of unemployment of the Northern Irish, they issued DeLorean over $100 million in British loans and tax breaks to build a manufacturing facility in Northern Ireland. In a cow pasture. In a cow pasture in Dunmurry. However, even with this investment, it wasn't going to be enough. According to Barry Wills, director of purchasing and supply for the DeLorean Motor Company, quote, The biggest problem we had was that the first business plan made it quite clear we were going to run out of money the day we produced the first car, end quote. And so on top of that, the company was plagued with production issues. 
many people took jobs in the factory that had never held any job before, let alone a job manufacturing a state-of-the-art vehicle. Keep in mind, the dashboard of the DMC-12 was almost entirely digital components. And this is in 1981. Many people had never seen digital instrumentation, let alone tried to wire it themselves. And all these things and more led to the first run of DMC-12s being of low quality with a multitude of issues. Some cars had weak alternators, meaning that running all these digital elements caused the battery to die mid-trip. Four separate recalls were issued to fix issues with the car. But luckily for consumers, the car came with a 12-month, 12 12,000-mile 12, warranty. Unluckily for consumers, however, the DeLorean Motor Company never had the funds to actually make good on these warranties. So many dealerships refused to honor them, meaning if you got a lemon, you were just kind of stuck with it. Right. And see, the problem is when they started building those cars in that cow pasture in Dunmurray, you know, they probably shouldn't have literally built the cars with the cow shit. <clears throat> because that's the cars came out shitty. Because... Yeah. <coughs> Man, you are funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty hilarious. But yeah, now there's lemon laws to protect from specifically this thing. I'm not sure if lemon laws are around at the same time. And the lemon laws are a little bit different because they're used cars, but I'm fairly certain that there's that there's laws with new cars as well. Like, you can't sell someone a car if you know that it has problems, essentially. So I don't think that that matters if you're buying it used or new, that that is illegal in most places. Yeah, well, you see, Cayman, the issue was they were building it in that cow pasture in Dunmurray, and they had the cows build the cars. I actually think that mine was better. Mm. I think that you made my joke better by telling your shitty joke. Comparably, I win this. And the only person that loses is our listeners. Hey, luckily for them, we're going to cut all of that. <laughs> we'll see. Absolutely. Yeah. Another fun fact is that the car was called the DMC-12 because originally it was supposed to sell for around $12,000. However, after import costs, the inflated production costs and the expensive building materials used to create the car, the DMC-12 was selling for around $25,000, over double the original intended selling point. For some context, that's about $70,000 in 2020 money. And for some further context, in 1981, you could get a fully loaded Corvette for $18,000. So how would your DeLorean stack up against that fully loaded Corvette? Well, unfortunately, due to the body of the car being made of stainless steel, it was pretty heavy. Roden Truck Magazine conducted a series of performance tests and concluded that the car went from 0 to 60 in 10 and a half seconds, which they said was not quick for a sports car in its price category. And it wasn't nearly as fuel efficient as John DeLorean had dreamed. So we've got an overpriced vehicle that is riddled with production issues, and even when it performs, it does so poorly. And on top of all this, the U.S. economy had just entered a recession. So needless to say, demand for the DMC-12 was low. They had produced roughly 10,000 cars, of which only 6,000 had actually sold. So the DeLorean Motor Company is under a mountain of debt, and their cars aren't selling. So they begin looking for ways to get more investment capital. They kicked around the idea of going public as the DeLorean Motors Holding Company, which would have made John DeLorean a very rich man but would have also screwed over both the DeLorean dealers who had invested in the company and the British government. The other option was to ask the British government for more money. The issue with that was that since DeLorean had gotten their first round of investment, someone else had taken power in Britain. 
And that person is Margaret Thatcher. And the word conservative is thrown around a lot to describe politicians. But Margaret Thatcher was the definition of conservative. She was vehemently against the idea of bailing out a private business, especially an American one like the DeLorean Motor Company. And so Thatcher vetoed a plan which would save the company and the 1,500 jobs it had created, which left John DeLorean with no other choice but to look to alternative means of financing his company. Yeah. Thatcher was, I, I want to toss this point out, Thatcher was essentially British Ronald Reagan. Oh, yeah. Like, that. that is, like, the best way that you can put that. Around the same time, both super conservative. And how lucky for her, yeah, how lucky for her that we also had Ronald Reagan at that time <laughs> so they could just, like, you know, create the Justice League of conservative leaders. Yeah, imagine if that happened with England and the U.S., like, in modern times. Like, if we had a super conservative, like, I don't know someone named bald bump and they had like someone very named... political <laughs> what if what if they both had horrible hair very political that is very political but you know if you're gonna compare trump to anybody reagan very political okay 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 i'll move on so delorean needs extra capital and they're not really sure how they're gonna get it so on october 20th 1982 delorean was arrested along with william morgan hetrick 50 of Mojave, California, and Stephen Lee Arrington, 34 of San Diego, in possession of 59 pounds of cocaine. Rad. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI said that DeLorean himself had been the financier of a plot to sell $24 million worth of illegal substance, roughly 220 pounds of coke, in order to help financially support his struggling motor company. The transaction was so tied to his company, in fact, that DeLorean had put up 40 of his $25,000 sports cars as collateral in financing the deal. Jesus. Things were looking real rough for DeLorean at this point. But the story was a little bit more complicated than that. Now to explain the situation a little bit better, here's a few facts. DeLorean's previous neighbor, James Timothy Hoffman, was currently awaiting trial for a 1981 federal cocaine trafficking charge. James Hoffman also had agreed to be an FBI informant in order to, you know, kind of reduce his sentence that he may be getting. Hoffman, in the employee of the FBI, and hoping, you know, like I said, to receive a reduced sentence, approached DeLorean with the aforementioned drug deal. So he set this entire deal up. To sweeten the pot, Hoffman was aware of DeLorean's financial troubles. Now, you have someone in the employee of the FBI approaching someone that they know is desperate and offering them to do something illegal to get out of it. This altogether, kids, is a clear-cut case of entrapment. And for those of you that may not be aware of what entrapment is, as defined in Jacobson versus United States, government agents may not originate a criminal design, implant in an innocent person's mind the disposition to commit a criminal act, and then induce commission of the crime so that the government may prosecute. DeLorean defense team did not call any witnesses, and DeLorean was found not guilty on August 16, 1984. Unfortunately, this was a little late for his company. See, through everything that happened when you're in these kind of legal troubles, makes it very difficult to be able to save your dying company. And especially when you get the reputation that you're selling coke out of your cars. People were saying that he was like lining the walls of DeLoreans with cocaine. And people were like trying to pop open the doors of their DeLoreans. Plus everything that you'd mentioned, Michael, like about like how bad the car was. And, you know, it, it was doomed from the get go. But this certainly didn't help. 
Yeah, but I still feel like you could turn this into like a, you know a marketing thing. You'd be like, yeah, this is what all these cool guys are doing. Like, <laughs> this is the uh, this is the next generation. And of course, it was the 1980s. So if you're a businessman, you know, if you're successful, you're probably doing coke. Think about how many you could sell in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a DeLorean. You might get lucky and have 110 pounds of cocaine in it. <laughs> <laughs> they just do a raffle it's like <laughs> yeah oh cool so yeah the company has almost entirely failed at this point and in 1983 a company called consolidated international bought out the failing delorean motor company and you may know consolidated international today as big lots <laughs> yeah <laughs> they had every intention of continuing the business you know, in the United States, continuing to manufacture cars, continuing to sell cars. But after some analysis, they found that there was no path to profitability. So Big Lots had all these unsold cars and a ton of spare parts, enough so that they were able to create around 100 more cars just from the spare parts alone. And they were able to sell about two thirds of the inventory that they had taken over. And then in 1995, a British car mechanic named Stephen Wynn bought the rights to the DeLorean Motor Company name from Big Lots. And along with it, he got the remaining parts, cars, and engineering drawings for future replacement parts. And at the time, the idea was that he would be the definitive source of DeLorean repairs and replacement parts for DeLorean's diehard fans. And as for John DeLorean, he went underground for a while. That was until shortly before his death in 2005... DeLorean announced he would be selling watches for about $3,500 under the name DeLorean Time. But you weren't just purchasing a watch. By buying one, you also had first dibs to purchase his new car design. The DMC-2 was intended to be the luxury sports car the DMC-12 was always supposed to be. Unfortunately, DeLorean died of a stroke shortly after, and the deal fell through with no watches or DMC-2s ever being created. What's weird, though, is this is just one of many DeLorean watches that have been created. Another series came out in 2012 from Swiss watchmaker Romain Jerome called the DeLorean DNA, and it was made from real DeLorean car parts. Those stainless steel heavy parts. Like, I feel like these watches had to be uncomfortable. But only 81 were made, so if you want one, good luck finding it. However, if you're still in the market for a DeLorean watch, but are looking for the budget option, there's also DMCwatches.com. And in what I can only assume is an homage to the late John DeLorean's dream, the now-named DeLorean Motor Company has started selling DMC-branded watches. And they look pretty cool, and they're all under $200. No, they don't. I like them. I kind of want one. I thought they looked cool. I kind of want one. Have you looked, Colin? Look them up. I just did. I thought they were pretty neat. They're pretty neat. Mm. They're under two hundred dollars. I thought there were some pretty good looking watches on there. Look, yeah, there's there's some good looking watches there, and they're they're Delorean watches. That's that's neat in and of itself. And the fact you can get one for under two hundred dollars, you're being a prude, Cayman. I am being a prude. Looks like something you can get for fifteen dollars at JC Penney. But it wouldn't say Delorean on it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't say Delorean now. They say That's DMC. True. Well, Delorean Motor Company. They might as well yeah. say Delorean. Nobody's gonna know what that means. Well, you know what? If they don't, you freaking you don't want to talk to them. That's how you know. You wear it, and you're like, "Do you know what this is?" And they're like, "No," and you're like, "You can't be my friend." And then you walk away. 
I feel like now that I've said they've sucked, when like I'm gonna be at a gas station or something, I'm gonna see someone wearing one. I'm gonna be like, dude, that's a DMC watch, and they're gonna be like, stop talking to me at the gas station. That's so rad, dude. They're gonna be like, I listen to your podcast. Get away from me, idiot. <laughs> I don't even like you. You're my least favorite presenter. But let's let's stop talking about watches. I know what you want. You don't want to watch. You want to get behind the wheel of the real thing. No, I don't. Well, I've got good news. No, you don't. In 2015, the U.S. government enacted the Low Volume Motor Vehicle Manufacturers Act, which allows small batch automakers to make up to 325 replica cars per year. And the new DeLorean Motor Company is all about it. Unfortunately, there's a holdup from the Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And even when that gets cleared up, the DeLorean Motor Company has reported that they have about 5,000 people in line waiting to get one. So with 325 cars per year, you're probably going to be waiting a while. So until the rest of us can get lucky enough to get a new DMC-12, there are a number of enthusiasts keeping the dream alive. It is estimated that 6,500 of the 9,000 DeLorean cars built are still on the road. It's impressive. Which is a testament to both the sturdiness of the building materials used and the commitment of the DeLorean fans to keep their favorite car running on the roads. And there are currently 38 registered DeLorean clubs in 15 countries where DMC owners meet up to discuss their favorite car. So if you're close to one, maybe stop in and see a piece of automotive history while we wait for the new production to begin. Do not buy a DeLorean motor car. Don't. There's no point to, to buy a DMC-12. It's crap. Why? It's crap. It's a crap car. If you want a car from around the same time that looks good, like... I, I don't know, find like a Ferrari Testarossa. Get like a Volkswagen GTI. Like, there are so many other cool cars. You can get the doors on a Model Y these days, so, I mean... You can what? You can get the doors on a Tesla Model Y. Oh, yeah. That was like half the fun was the doors, but... Yeah, the doors that open... Uh, the gullwing doors. They're called gullwing gull wing doors. doors. Yeah. Gullwing doors, right. okay. I mean, okay, so I, I'm being a little harsh here, but hear me out for a second, right? The Honda Fit. Okay. I don't know what that is. Hold on, let me Google it. Look up a Honda Fit. It, it, I, I think some people don't like the look. It looks, no, it's like a bubble. It is, it is a car of the future. It looks like, it looks like my Toyota Yaris. Yeah, kind of. Except for your Yaris isn't as good. So here's what I'm going to say. The DMC-12 had 130 horsepower and it weighed 2,743 pounds. The Honda Fit has 130 horsepower and weighs 100 pounds less. The DMC-12 was $70,000. The Honda Fit is $16,000. And of course, you know, that's being a little comparative. DMC-12 constantly fell apart. Honda Fit, one of the most reliable sub-compact cars that you can buy. Yeah, but the Honda Fit just doesn't have that same edge, you know? The Honda Fit's not made of stainless steel. That's a good point. No, that actually makes lighter. it better. It's safer. Cars today are way safer than they've ever been way safer than they've ever been that's true if you uh, here's the thing is like you're safe in a delorean if you run into anybody you're gonna demolish their car because you're in a stainless no, steel weapon no because that's that's the thing cars crumple zones crumple zones are the key people used to make cars because they were like if i make it like a brick it'll be fine no if you make it like a brick and you hit something you're going to like immediately stop and die it's called whiplash i don't know have you seen the cyber truck cyber truck seems pretty safe I'm sure it still has crumple zones because crumple zones allow the impact to slow. So you don't just immediately like slosh all over your dashboard and turn into I'm a not, human goop pile. I'm not going to have this argument because I don't know shit about cars. Honda Fit has a higher top speed. 
Cool. Well, let's uh, let's go into let's go into let's go into <laughs> side notes. Let's go into end notes. Let's go into footnotes. Whatever we call these things. Oh, I guess I'm already there. You're behind. We're ten episodes in. You should know what I'm doing. Side notes. That's side notes. That was a side note. That was an end note. Yeah, that was that was one end note. Do you want the next one? I th- I think we're gonna call this episode DeLorean because we yeah. can say that this episode's about the car. Really, it's not. Really, it's about John DeLorean himself. Yeah, and how he went from like literally the master of American cars. Oh yeah. To a failure. I mean, really, it's just a straight up failure. Yeah, he was the American car prodigy. Yeah. Yeah. Everything he touched turned to gold. And here's the thing is, I really do think that they pressured him out. I don't think he would have left where he was. Because, I mean, above all else, I really believe John DeLorean was a narcissist. And I don't think... But that's the thing. You've made your own argument. He, It's the De- DeLorean motor car. <sighs> like, he's a narcissist. <laughs> it's... But at the same time, like, he was making... The biggest manufacturer in the world, he was making it the best it had ever been. And, like, you know he got that praise. Like, it had to be that he was his own downfall there. And that's what sucks about this story is we really don't know the details of what happened. Because this would be such a better story if you could point to a specific thing and say, here's where he got pressured out of GM. And here's where he completely screwed his life up. Because if he had just stayed with it, he, you know, I mean, he would have been remembered as freaking the next Henry Ford. Yeah, probably. And I mean, I, th- I think he still has a legacy. Well, the th- here's the thing. You say he might have been remembered as the next Henry Ford. It's easy to remember Henry Ford when you see his name driving down the street in the most popular car in the world right now, which is the Ford F-150. His name's plastered all over everything. And, and you could make the argument, you know, you're saying that he's a narcissist. He wanted to put his name on a car. That's how you get remembered forever. When everyone sees it, you remember Hershey. Because the Hershey's bar, you're going to see it everywhere. When your name's on something, that like solidifies you forever. So I don't know. It it does suck that we can't really say specifically what the event was that caused him to leave. But if I had to guess, he wanted the prestige and he'd probably slept through all of GM at the time. And was probably on drugs. Was probably doing a lot of cocaine. Allegedly. Allegedly. Probably might be. I've got I've got more footnotes. Do you want to do you want to do another one? Yeah. So talking about Back to the Future, Spielberg had originally planned to use an old refrigerator instead of a car, but he changed his mind at the last minute because one, he liked the futuristic look of the car, and two, he was worried that his young fans of the movie, like the young fans of his movies, might accidentally get stuck in refrigerators and die. Okay, so. <sighs> I read about this. So everybody talks about Spielberg. And yes, it was produced by his production company, but it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, who's like also a very famous director. Was Spielberg really that involved in Back to the Future? I I believe so. If he was making the decision between the refrigerator and the DeLorean, you would think that he was pretty involved. I guess. I think that Spielberg's pretty well known as being super involved in everything that he does. Like even Indiana Jones was directed by George Lucas, but... It was, it's, you know, still a Steven Spielberg movie. And at the time that Spielberg, I imagine if you're a world famous director and then you get into producing, you're still going to have a hand on everything that goes on with what you're producing. Well, I mean, if we're just saying that his uh, production company was involved and that's why he was so involved, then why did the movie Monster House happen? Uh, we forget Monster House. Because Amblin Entertainment also produced that movie. Mm, we don't talk about Monster House. Well, why'd E.T. happen? Because he directed that movie, Cayman. He directed that yeah, one. and it sucked. E.T. sucks. 
AT sucks, the DeLorean sucks. It's my 10th episode, I'm getting edgy. Everything sucks. Colin, I want to quit the podcast. Okay. This is my resignation. Okay. I'm going to finish my footnotes and then I'm going home. <laughs> by that, I mean I'm already home. I'm going to log out. <laughs> All right. There are four 24-karat gold-plated DeLoreans in the world right now, two of which were created in 1980 for a promotion that American Express ran where they were selling them for $85,000 each, which in today's money is about a quarter of a million dollars. The third was assembled from spare parts after the American Express promotion, and the fourth was created by some lunatic who just really wanted one. Like, he basically just <laughs> recreated all the parts from scratch and made his own gold-plated DeLorean. Hell yeah. That's badass. The DeLorean Motor Company also had plans to introduce a four-door sedan version of the traditional DMC-12, another model centered around off-roading, which looked like a Jeep, minus the body like it basically looked like the frame of a jeep and that's about it oh good we're making the jeep even safer yeah i mean it was basically just a chassis with a steering wheel dope and it's super weird looking and you can find it on youtube if you just type in the dmc 44 and they also wanted to create a bus which was imagine a bus and that's what it was <laughs> good good stuff the DeLorean can't even reach 88 miles per hour. Now, that is a little bit of a fib. It can go over 88 miles per hour. But the thing is, in the movie Back to the Future, they showed the DeLorean, like, in a parking lot hit, hitting 88. It took the DeLorean 24.3 seconds to get to 100 miles per hour, which is an eternity. I'm sure the Honda Fit could get there faster. You could not do that in a parking lot. Okay, the that DeLorean had a flux capacitor, okay? That's a good point. All right, so you're not even It was a modified DeLorean. If anything the if anything the flux capacitor is going to slow you down. False. That's heavy. Okay. Wow. That's a time that's a time device. Okay, there's no speed and time are related. Yeah, exactly. Came if you read the lore, you would know that it slowed down those 24 seconds so that it actually only took like a couple seconds. See, I started at the second movie, so I don't know. That's that's your issue. Oh, if you, yeah. <laughs> no, you've actually got to read the comic book, which I've actually heard is pretty good. Is there actually a comic book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a comic book, which, like I said, is actually, I've heard is pretty good. Isn't, isn't Back to the Future just like a Rick and Morty ripoff? Okay. All right. <laughs> that's the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's the reverse. The former host of The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson, not only lost out on his investment to DeLorean... But according to Mental Floss, Carson was behind the wheel of his 1981 DMC-12 when he was arrested for driving under the influence in 1982. And Carson eventually unloaded his DeLorean at auction in 1985 for $18,250. So, <laughs> it was a bad mistake on Carson's part. I mean, I'm not saying that it was the car's fault. Yeah, I mean, you could have at least gotten some of the money back had you just held, held on to it. Have you seen how much they're going for now? I'm sure they're very expensive. I have, it really depends on the quality, but I was on a website and I saw some for like 80,000, 100,000. But then again, you got to realize that these are, you know, the ones that obviously haven't sold yet. So that might be overinflated. It's hard to say exactly what the market value of DeLorean is now. What's uh, Kelly Blue Book put it I was out? about to say, yeah, what does Kelly say? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I want to check and see if the DeLorean, there's no way. There's no way it's still on there. Kelly Blue Book only goes back to 1992. Damn. Unfortunately. So you can't see what the what the 
mm. you know. Back to the Future takes place in Hill Valley, and a majority of the plot takes place around the high school, right, where Marty McFly goes to school, and when he goes back to the 1950s, his parents are both going there. All scenes filmed for Hill Valley High were filmed at Whittier High School. Hey! Former high school of... Uh, Nixon. Yeah, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. President Richard Nixon. Yeah, that's awesome. And whenever Biff Tannen in Back to the Future 2 goes back to the past, I guess, in Back to the Future 2, and he gives himself the stuff to make himself rich and powerful, he ends up supporting Richard Nixon for two additional terms... So that in 1985, Nixon is on his fourth term as president in that movie. And while we're talking about Back to the Future, while researching for this episode, I took a break to watch some YouTube, and I got a targeted ad for a replica Back to the Future model DeLorean. So thank you guys for ruining my YouTube recommended ads. Oh, dude, I've been getting weird stuff ever since, like, Blackberry. (laughs) Blackberry's where I first started noticing it. Yeah. Exactly. Every time we do a new episode, I get some weird targeted ads. Yeah. Uh, Converse. Oh my god, Converse. Converse ruined me. Oh, dude, I get them constantly. Yes. And it just goes to show, um, me and Michael do not use VPNs. (laughs) 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 You really should. Uh, No, it doesn't matter. I use Chrome, so I'm signed in. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I totally use a VPN. It doesn't matter. Okay. All right, Cayman, you want to tell the people where they can find us? Be sure to follow us on Twitter at IRWYH Podcast and on Instagram at I Really Wish You Hadn't. Got any questions or comments? Email us at podcast at I Really Wish You Hadn't.com. And if you haven't, be sure to sub to us on your favorite podcast network. It really helps us out. Yeah, do do that. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Kevin McMahon. We are produced by Colin Moore. Intro and outro music by Attack Story. Our cover art is by Nickator. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, please don't smuggle cocaine to fund your passion projects. And as always, don't do anything I wouldn't do.